Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the GIC call, or better known as Grounded in Commerce. It is Tuesday, August 25th, 2015. Grounded in Commerce group objective is to bring sense to the seemingly senseless world of commerce. People tend to get lost in their administrative processes and pursuit, and also being applicable to their private and public merits and standing. We offer to our listeners a very exposure and educational materials to gain an understanding of one's pursuit. This material here today is not to be misconstrued as legal or financial advice, and we strongly suggest if you need legal or financial advice to seek a licensed attorney or a financial planner or both. This material is for entertainment purposes only. So, and what I'd like to talk about tonight is um, corpus juris secundum, and it's uh, what is it? You know, and I looked in um, Black's Law, and it's a body of law. And two, it's a term used to signify a book comprehending several collections of law. So um, it is um, maybe somebody might want to consider it secondary logic, and there may be some other remedies available to you other than what this is here. Um, there's many, many different subject matters, but the one we're going to talk about tonight is quite a title. So in um, what, they, what it says, the exact definition of what they were saying in Corpus Juris, just short, is about um, quiet title, is this what they said? They said that um, for why would someone want to acquire their title on a property? The public interest requires removing clause on title of property in order to, that land may be put into full potential use. By protecting the owner of legal title from being disturbed in possession and harassed by suits affecting the title by persons setting up an unjust and illegal pretensions, relieving the owner from future annoyances and depressions in property value, uh, and fleeing the order and fleeing the owner from future claims. The purpose of quiet title action is to test and establish the validity of any adverse claims of ownership of real property, final settling, and determining as among parties all conflicting claims to property in the controversy, including interest in multiple parties claiming interest to the land, and even the holders of the previous equitable interest of the land, in order to clear up any doubts, disputes concerning land, determine the allocation of property interest, determine existing title of property, and validity of adverse claims to it, and degree of each party interest or estate which the party may be entitled. So there is probably more than 300 pages of a corpus juris condom, and each one has um, a little bit of um, different things, like um, if you would read it, like if you had a problem with uh, a cloud of title subject to removal of an action of quiet title's inv invalid claim against the title or semblance of title and interest were, although facts is unfounded, nevertheless appears to be valid and ca cast doubt on validity of the record of title. That might be one of them. 
may have another one that might say something like the remedy in quieting a title or removing the collateral title applies to avoiding future claims against the title. Equity may give relief against the apprehend and threaten the cloud on the title where the danger is not merely speculative but where where that the threatened act is completed would not cast a cloud on a title. So the one I wanted to talk about tonight, I thought maybe we'd go over, it might be kind of cute, cute to do tonight. Via one, it's called a mortgage, and it's um it's on page 47, and it's the um, it's updated in June 2015 in Quiet Title, and it's on mortgages and deeds of trust, and um, it says here it says a mortgage or deed of trust the in Validity, which appears on its face or matter of record, does not constitute a cloud justifying a quiet, quieting of title or removing a cloud on the title, but where the invalidity must be proved by extrinsic evidences by a mortgage constituting a cloud which equity would remove, will remove. So you can go down and just about a paragraph or two, and it has all um, little footnotes. And they have little case laws on these little footnotes here. So I thought we'd go through it first time, and then and then we'll go back over to each one of the footnotes and see how that I read each one of the footnotes and see what they uh, had to say about it. So here it goes. It says, a mortgage or deed of trust which is valid on its face does constitute a cloud of title justi- justifying the quieting the title or removing a cloud on the title. The fact that the plaintiff seeking to quiet the title executed on mortgage to be removed as a cloud on the plaintiff's title does not prevent the plaintiff from maintaining a quiet title action with respect to an invalid mortgage. A mortgage or deed of trust valid on space and requiring proof of extrinsic circumstances to show the invalidity constituting a cloud which equity would remove. This is so where the mortgage was in its exception, but the validity on property covered by it, where the consideration has failed or when the secured debt has been paid or the mortgage otherwise satisfies. But when the mortgager has not paid the debt, validity secured by the mortgage, the mortgager cannot quite a title against the mortgagee. The deed of trust which is binding on the grantor cannot be declared void and is a cloud on the title at the instance of ones whose rights are deprived from and are no stronger than those of the grantor. So we're going to go back to the footnotes on it. So we'll reach one, each one of them again. It says, the mortgage and deed of trust which is valid on the face thus constitute a cloud on the plaintiff on the title justifying quieting the title or removing the cloud on the title. And there was a case that came up on it, and the footnotes was um, it's in PA, and it's called Keene versus Foreman, and it's 752A, 2nd District, 906. And this was on 2000. The case was um it was a it was a case um hold on here. That was not the case, sorry, excuse me. The case was on the footnote was Barbaran versus Nash, uh, Nation Point and the seven oh six uh, supplement second four oh eight. It came out of New York in two thousand ten. And the case was basically um that the um the person said uh, the plaintiff said that she never signed a promissory note. There was no meeting of the minds, and alleging that uh, Nation Point inserted false and um, conclusionary statements that the note on the mortgage. Also, there was MERS was involved, and there was false uh, false assignments. 
and they were here trying to move the cloud on title. So isn't that exactly what was said here? The mortgage and deed of trust is a valid on space, constitute the cloud of the title, justifying the quieting the title or removing the cloud on the title. That's exactly what happened. So then in number two, it says the um, another uh, one's going to come up. It says the fact that the plaintiff seeking to quiet the title executed the mortgage to be removed as a cloud on the plaintiff's title does not prevent the plaintiff while maintaining a quiet title action with respect to an invalid mortgage. And that was that was back to that Barbarin and that nation point. But there was also another one. They were talking about it was the same thing, the same the same, same exact one, right? Okay, now we have three. It says, uh, a mortgage or deed of trust valid on space requiring proof of strict circumstances to show the invalidity constitutes a cloud which equity would remove. And that's number three. And that was by White versus Pratt, and that was in 1955. And this was a lady, um, a wife, um, she had um, she got a loan for $5,000, right? And um, she was saying that um, she was trying to make a, the wife may not bind her separate estate by any contract or security ship, nor in any assumption of debts of her husband. The transaction was absolutely voided. So she was trying to, um, I guess her husband had died, and she was trying to um, um, separate her her contract her 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 party from her her husband and in fact you were both as you were both married you were both the same party so that's what it sounded like to me on that one number four okay it says this is so where the mortgage was the inception not a valid lien on a property that covered by it and that was another case that came up and that was under uh, S-E-I-P versus Fell, P-F-E-I-L, and that was out of 1954. And they talked about um, a lien can be extinguished in record but does not tra- change the law to the debt. And what she was trying to do is the six years had elapsed, and that was 3-118, and um, she was, and no one ever claimed the, um, after that, right? So they're saying that, um, you could extinguish it from the record, but the lien can go on and go on and on, but it's an unsecured debt, basically what they were saying at that time. Number five, where the consideration has spelled, all right, and that was another case where I, a company called King Lumber versus Spranglers in 1912. It was about jurisdiction of equity, which removed a cloud from the title, which equity counts had prior to the passage of the statute. So that was before the statute, I guess, 3 118. Or, I mean, uh, okay. Let me see, number six. The mortgager has not been paid by the debt, validity secured by the mortgage. The mortgager or mortgagor cannot quiet the title against the mortgagee. And that was not the case. That was the one I even I thought was pretty amazing when, the, when I was reading this. Let's see what I'm here. Okay, it was under 
Um, sorry, guys. Um, there was a, a company called Fairview Terrace versus Roberts. It prevented a holder from transferring the note and deed to a bona fide purchase holder for value. So they were saying that the amount due in the second mortgage would be accepted from the total payment. So they were saying that since there was a second mortgage on the property, then how could you be able to, and it was a bona fide purchaser on the second one, and if the first one, how does that work out though? Because you have a bona fide purchaser on the second one, and that would mean somebody gave really consideration, and the other one would be credits. And that's what they were afraid of uh, happening. So. That's what they were trying to protect at the time. So that's what that was, was saying. And then, um, let me see. The, the deed of trust, which is binding on a grantor, cannot be declared void as a cloud of title in the instance of one's rights are deprived from and no stronger than a grantor. And that's absolutely true. I mean, whatever grantor says, that's the law, right? Now we're going to go back to the next one. Equity is... The quiet title is available to a vehicle to foreclose outstanding equitable rights of redemption. And that was number nine. And that was a company called Moser versus Thorpe. And that came out of Iowa in 1977. And what they were talking about is that Moser, the plaintiff, was not in good faith and, um, and where there was not a bona fide purchaser, and they were trying to redeem it. So what happened is that the, um, they were trying to get some money later and I think that there was a, um, if I remember reading that right, that the Moser actually was able to get some of his money back out of this redemption because it wasn't a bona fide purchaser. Let's go and then it says, effects of the statute of limitations in an action of quiet title against the holder of the mortgage on the grounds of the right of the foreclose, the foreclose on mortgage is barred by limitation, which is not maintainable. Unless the right is given by statute, right? And that was another one. That was Mix versus Cloud. That was number 10. And this company was called Mix versus SODD, and it came out of 1981. And the plaintiff was not a bona fide purchase for value because she was not aware of the mortgage at the time of the, of the, she purchased the property. Since she was not the bona fide purchaser, she stood in the shoes of her predecessors in interest. So they were trying to say that because she wasn't a bona fide purchaser, then if there was somebody who had an interest prior to that, then I guess you, then they have they, they could keep going on and on and on. And, they, and the statute of limitations of 3-118 did not apply unless she was a bona fide purchaser, which was kind of like a thing I even thought about. That was kind of amazing when I went to. So then um, the next one is... Um, Unless the right is given by the statute, the debt is secured by the deed of trust consecutively presumed to have been paid by because of the failure of the holder of the debt to follow necessary right to make necessary entries within the time limit by the statute of the owner of property is entitled to have a deed of trust removed on cloud of title. A person who is seeking a quiet title may interpose and bar the statute against a mortgage defendant seeking foreclosure on the mortgage lien. And that was pretty much all I had tonight. So, I mean, this. Are, I mean, if you look at the thing, if you look at each one of them, and you go back to each one of the 
footnotes. They have little cases here. I mean, it's like kind of like, oh, well, that does sound right to this one and this one, and it goes all the way down. There was about 12 of them just on this one. And this may not, this may not even apply to your mortgage or anything, but each one has a different um, subject matter what they're talking about, you know. But this was the one I wanted to talk about tonight. So I'm pretty much finished on what I wanted to say. So anybody's got any questions or anything? Are you there, Nancy, by any chance? I am. Okay, I'm here. So um, thank you for that um, conversation there. I um, Some people may not understand what the power or the understanding of what a corpus juris secundum does. Um, it's pretty advanced for a lot of people because um, they'd have to basically have been in a suit and... Um, to try to bring those those points forward. Uh, it is valuable information and would recommend that people obtain it. Um, obtaining it, though, is its whole other purpose and, uh, and um, <laughs> life lessons, one might call it. You know, you have some great life lessons along the way and sometimes tracking down this stuff and finding out how you find out about it is a whole other process and learning about who you are and what you are and what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. So um, I would just say that a lot of times uh, keep on it, keep asking questions, and, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you ask it wrong because the minute you ask it right, then you understand it. Um, so from my perspective. So thank you. Um, I had you know, the, I'm like, sorry, Nancy, but there was two things that, that, that stood out me when I was reading this. When I was reading this, I'm thinking... One was the bonafide purchaser because if you're a bonafide purchaser, then you pay consideration or money. Mm-hmm. And then like here comes up something that a person wasn't a bonafide purchaser if they paid with credits. And like, yeah, we know that, but now it showed up there, right? So that was like, mm-hmm. okay, that was something that was like, okay, here it says it here and it's amazing there. And, and, there's, um, and there's a case to go with it. So from that aspect, that's a good, that's a good point. Right, and then the other one was when they were saying that um, the statute of limitations didn't apply to um, 3-118 if you weren't a bona fide purchase holder. Mm-hmm. So that was like, okay, so that was kind of like, even I didn't know that at the time. Like, okay, so I was just reading into that. You know, I mean, it takes a lot. Of, this stuff here is just a lot in depth. You're just going to read and read and read and read. And, you know, you're going to get, you're going to gather what you can and what you can't, you can't, you know. But uh, it was it was a good read, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So I believe someone on the call right now had um, requested some information regarding rescission. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to take the word rescission and I'm going to take it outside of what we're talking about in in regards to a mortgage. Okay. And I'm going to talk about it in the respect of you and I. Okay. So we've created a contract. We've had the meeting of the minds. We have the oral and written agreement. We have the promise. You know, I, I promise to give you my car and you're going to give me consideration. Maybe you're going to give me $1,000. And then 
we both agree that if this contract needs to be enforced, it'll be enforced in what jurisdiction. So from my perspective, I would choose the public jurisdiction as of this moment, okay? Because I want to keep this relatively, you know, <laughs> simple, okay? So I'm going to sell you my car. You're going to buy it for $1,000. And we have a mutual agreement, right? Yes. Okay. So rescission in the word itself, in the understanding of the word, it says it's an abrogation of a contract effective from its inception, thereby restoring the parties to the position they would have occupied if no contract had ever been formed. So after I sold you the car for $1,000 and I got paid the $1,000, now all of a sudden you want to give me the car back. Okay? That's, that's the rescission part. Okay? But I don't want to give the car back. I don't want to give the $1,000 because I've already spent the $1,000 and there's nothing wrong with the car and it follows the rules of the contract of what we'd set out. So from that perspective, my pers- my my understanding and my stand would be that I don't have to give you the $1,000 back because we had a contract and there's no evident reason for rescinding the contract. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So if we take that to another level, um, first of all, I want I want you to understand that the reason that it is not you know, rescindable, so to speak, or rescinding, is because we mutually agreed that the contract was followed, right? Yes. In this in this example, okay. So therefore, it was a mutual rescission by agreement, okay. And so both parties chose to, you know, honor the obligation and go on with the contract without being in rescission of the contract or the execution of the original contract before its performance. Like, in other words, you I, you give me back the car and I give you back the $1,000, okay? Now, yeah. if you take a look at that, that's as basic as it gets for decision, okay? Now, other people try to put, I'll call, spins on it, okay? However, from my perspective, some of the spins don't always meet the criteria this met, or the, it, 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 it doesn't follow the rules of the contract. Does that make sense? Yes. So if you're going to, if you're going to still buy my car, and, I'm, and you're still going to give me $1,000, the form of the rescission can either be in written or oral, and it can either be implied, as you know, if we're going to try to rescind it, okay? But the parties have to be shown by their acts and, and by the circumstances, okay? So you can't just make a unilateral decision that you're going to rescind the contract. You have to have an agreement with me to rescind it, okay? Okay. So, um, because that's what we, we had a signed contract and it was, the contract was good, right? Yes. Okay. So if we don't have a, issue in the contract, then we don't have a reason. So the form 
have to stay the same in that regard. So when you're looking at converting this over to a mortgage, what form of the contract is, so to speak, rescindable or is wrong or has a, has a reason specifically, you know, what's, what's every, each and every clause, what, what's, what's in each and every clause of that contract that's going to make it have this right to you just to say on your one side, oh, by the way, I want to give that car back. So there's got to be a form or something inside of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. The assent is where the parties in the contract must assent to its rescission because it's mutual. It involves forming a new contract. So, hey, I don't want your car and 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 I don't necessarily want the thousand, but we'll create a new contract to come into, again, mutual agreement of what this new contract is. So maybe it's you want something else for the car. I mean, you want the car and something else because, you know, it didn't, whatever, you, you, you didn't feel that it kept up to its agreement. But you and I agreed on that. Okay, so, yeah, I'm going to throw in the stereo system that, you know, was in the car, I took it out, and now I'm going to put it back in there, Okay. And you agreed that it's still good for the thousand dollars, or maybe we want you know eleven hundred now for it for the new stereo system or the stereo system that was in there. Does that make sense? Yes. So in an ascent, you're going to create a new contract, but you're still going to do it together. You're not going to do it unilaterally. You're not going to go behind someone's back and make some other agreement somewhere else. You're going to do it mutually with the party. Okay. Okay, consideration. Consideration is, is the agreement to rescind a prior contract is based on sufficient consideration and inducement. So inducing someone to pay the money, whether by, you know, <laughs> hi there, I'm going to, you know, want you to pay this money because this is what I want to have for my contract. Um, the contract remains um exitable on both sides. And an agreement to rescind by one side is sufficient consideration for the agreement to cancel on the other and vice versa if the consideration is not sufficient. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So then we get down to operation and effect. You know, Operation is the mutual rights of the parties, though the two parties are in control by the terms of the rescission agreement. So the parties are generally restored to their original rights. They have the original whatever they had. So I give you back the thousand and you give me back the car. Operation in effect says you no longer have any right to the car and I no longer have any right to the money. Okay? Yep. And and that's where that's at. So when you get down to things like um, wrongful or default or of adverse party or, or things like that, then you're getting into some contract law, I would say, that gets into what one might call, um, you know, some deciding factors. Does that make sense? Yes. So there has to be something wrong 
or there has to be a default. So maybe our, the contract was you were supposed to pay me over time and maybe you didn't pay me over time, okay? okay. You, can't, you can't have an arbitrary right exist to rescind the contract. There is no arbitrary just, I, I just want to do it just because. Okay. okay, you have to have some reason to execute and, and make, it, make it a contract and make it be valid between the two parties. Okay. Yes. Um, so whether your contract's either oral or written, it can be rescinded on the grounds of fraud. But what have we talked about all along? Fraud is really hard to prove. Right. <laughs> so if you're trying to avoid a contract under rescission based on fraud, which, by the way, I haven't heard anybody. And, and maybe I'm not listening to the right people, okay? But I haven't heard anybody try to rescind a contract for something other than fraud. So if they're out there, you know, please stand up, and I'd love to hear from them. But their basis of what they're doing is saying, there is fraud in this contract, therefore it's rescindable, therefore I want to shut this puppy down, and I want to give you back nothing, and I want to keep what I have. Does that make sense? Yes. So when you keep what you have and you don't give back what you have and you don't create a new contract, then where are you? Well, Nancy, on that one first case that I read in, the U.S. Bar- Barbaran versus Nation Point, they were, in fact, doing that. They were. She was trying to... Um, Resend the contract for fraud and all that. If you read that entire case, it'll come up. It'll it tells you exactly what they were trying to do because MERS was involved, false assignments, and all that other stuff. From my perspective, they weren't arguing the right point. No, and I think the end of that whole that whole case there was it was sort of a split decision on a clouded title. It's sort of like well, yeah, they they didn't have a right to foreclose, but then they didn't really give anything else to the plaintiff either because. Right. Um, Okay. And that's so kind of what's going on. Yeah. yeah. And that's a moot point because that has nothing to do with rescission. Quiet title is not rescission. Right. Case, right. Case may apply in some other instance, but not necessarily in this particular case. So, for wrongful default of adverse party, you know, the contract just cannot be voided for you know on the grounds of fraud or mistake or incapacity because okay. if you. If you made a mistake, then you'd correct the contract, wouldn't you? Yeah. If you didn't have capacity, you would give back the property because you didn't have the capacity to go into contract in the first place. Like if I didn't own the car, okay, and I sold the car to you, well, I'd have to get the car back because I didn't have the capacity to sell the car in the first place, right? Yeah. It wasn't mine to sell, so to speak, <laughs> even though I might have done it, Okay. That's where you get into these um, things of, of what I would consider of unjust enrichment. Okay? So yep. you're trying to take this contract, create a rescission on it, and then step aside and go, I want to rescind it, but I don't want to make a new contract. I don't want to give back the property. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. And yet, 
going forward, I believe that there are some people out there now, some of the groups are, are talking about filing a lawsuit. But the question for me or from me is what is their cause of action? Why are they rescinding the contract? Just because it's over the three-year period, to me, yeah, a contract can be, you know, rescinded within three years. Um, and, you know, but again, going back to if you rescind the contract, you're still supposed to be making a new contract. Otherwise, you are the party that is creating the unjust enrichment. You have something more than what you had before. Right? Yes. Okay. There's, they also talk a lot about inadequate consideration. So meaning if you weren't making payments, it's not that you would necessarily rescind the contract because of that inadequate consideration. More likely, you would sue me, okay, for the non-payment. Or actually, I guess I would, I, I, well, no, I, I gave you the car. I, you're, I'm asking for payments from you. So if you didn't pay me on time, I would then sue you for the amount that you owed. But that's not an, a rescission um, cause of action. That's a, that's a debt, <laughs> okay? That's a yeah. debt based on a contract. And for non-performance of the contract, then it's a cause of action that can be held up in court. Okay? Does that make sense in that regard? It does. Okay. Um, then you have non-performance or breach, you know, where one party can contract or, and, or can, well, one party that, that is in the contract can rescind it because of substantially non-performance or breach of the other party, okay, who's knowingly and willfully fails to perform and cannot complain to the other party to the contract has injured him by terminating the contract. That, are you following along what's being said? Could you repeat that one again, please? Sure. So one party cannot rescind the contract because of substantial non-performance or breach on the other party. The party who knowingly and willfully fails to perform cannot complain that the other party to the contract has injured him or her by terminating the contract. So what I hear in that statement, in that understanding and the definition of that, is, is that you have the car, I don't have the payment. You're, if you willfully and knowingly fail to perform in payment, okay, I cannot complain to you and ask for the ter contract to be terminated. I have to go through a process to get it. I just can't complain and say, hey, by the way, I think you're a jerk and you're not paying me and I want my car back. I have to, I have to do a process in court that has to be done there. I just can't willfully make it happen. 
In other words, I can't go to your backyard and steal the car. <laughs> right? Yes, I, I'm, I'm very aware of that particular circumstance. <laughs> okay, well, uh, okay, in the meantime, <laughs> I didn't do that, did I? <laughs> so as as we go through, and, and then there's the three-year rule about, you know, time um, for most. However, there is this also the time issue is in, in within the right to rescind must be exercised promptly within a reasonable time after the discovery. And I know a lot of people are wanting to hang their hats on that one. But let me tell you, you've got to know that when you sign the contract, it was your responsibility to read the contract. Right? Yep. So when people say, I just now <gasps> discovered that there was fraud in my contract and that I should have rescinded this. Oh, my God, it's been eight years. And, <gasps> Lordy, what am I going to do? Right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the maximum law that goes with that is something along the lines of justice prevails with those who are diligent with their time. Meaning no lapse of time, meaning honoring, getting things out, doing things proper. Don't don't wait around 10 years to go, oh my Lord, I didn't know. Okay. But we yeah. didn't know. Well, yeah, you didn't know, but it was your responsibility to know. Yeah. That, see, that's that's my point. Yep. <laughs> it's your responsibility to know because you signed the contract. Now, I'll give you another, a, a different perspective on that, and it comes from a, um, from a different purview so you can see what I'm talking about, okay? So this particular case or cause was someone had passed away, okay? And someone was, believing that, you know, that the estate had been paid out. And the estate was never, the, the accounting for the estate was never provided to these people, to the heirs of the, the you know, party, okay, yeah. um, of, the, of the deceased. So the bottom line was they didn't have access to the records. They weren't provided with the opportunity to discover what they're, what the, you know, what was left for them, basically. Yes. Okay? They have a right to do something about it because it was hidden from them. Like, they didn't have access to the accounting. They were asked to sign pieces of paper that said they were paid out, okay, without knowing anything about what was to be paid out. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So... By that terminology, that person had a right to, quote, unquote, rescind. But, you know, who's going to rescind it? <laughs> oh, Will, you're not. That's crazy talk. <laughs> right. Right. But but you hear what I'm saying? So when you talk about things, about who has the right to rescind something, um, you just want to be really careful. and And it will start to... You know, the minute something new comes on to the field, so to speak, you know, they got a new play in the playbook, 
okay? <laughs> like, ooh, someone found this golden gem on page 395, okay? Let's put it in the play and see how it works. Oh, yeah, okay, well, that judge missed that. We got one through. Yes, it's a win. Let's everybody run for a touchdown. Woo-hoo. Okay, let's everybody start doing this. Woo-hoo. Right? Yes. And the first person that doesn't work for because they closed the gap is going to go what? What's he going to say? He's, he's going to say, you did something wrong. <laughs> yeah. And and, and it's because it didn't work for him, they're going to say he didn't do something wrong, and then a whole bunch more people are going to do it. Still. Right. Okay? And my point is that so many more people will do it, they will have changed the laws in between the time that that person you know, got their first win yes. till the time that that person all of a sudden didn't get the win. <laughs> the next person, you know, the, the 1,000th person all of a sudden didn't get the win. Yes. They've changed the rules. And now all those other people are going to be going to jail because they've now violated the rules that they didn't know existed because they didn't read all the rules. Okay. And we're talking about new rules being made. Right. I'm talking about new law and legislation. I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, I mean, it, it is what is done. Someone I know and love dearly keeps saying it's the best legislation money can buy. Right? Yeah. Because they just keep changing the rules to match what the people on the side that are paying them the big bucks to put forth and make it law. Yep. So all of a sudden, then you got a whole bunch of people going to jail. Yep. And it ain't pretty. And, you know, it's just, it's not right. But, you know, I don't necessarily think it's right that they, that they do that, you know, that they change the rules to match, but it's the game. And oh. how? Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I don't expect. Question is, how can we assist in changing the rules so that no. it's fair? To go back to what was was written and what was what was meant to be as our country was founded. And I don't expect you to answer. Well. I can give you my own personal purview. I would say people need to start working in tandem with their local government. And you need to have conversations. You know, you might want to buy them a clouded title book and send it to all the judges in your county. Yes. You might want to have some conversation with your legislators. Okay. You might want to have some conversation with, hey, how about your attorney general's office? They got a whole bunch of staffers there that love conversation. Yes, they do. As a matter of fact, I think I had a conversation with one of them about, I want to say it was back in oh in ten. And I said to him, well, this really looks like it's the, the 
the, you know, what they're doing. I mean, because this was, of course, after the 2008 crash, okay, um, right. for mortgage. And I said, this really looks weird. And it looks like this is kind of, they're all working together. And he says, well, of course they are. <laughs> I, I mean, my, my ears kind of, oh, you, you said, what? Yes, they are. And I'm like, and of course, you know, not knowing the whole lot at that point, I just said, well, is there anything that we can do? And he said, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I, and, and, he, and then he listed off and rattled off about 10 different companies that if you had it on your deed, that more than likely you were screwed. I was like, wow, okay. But you hear what I'm saying. They know they're the ear to the attorney general. Right. So if you want to have frequent say, monthly conversations with them, right. Right. you're right. This is what this country is about. Okay. You have the right to have that communication with those parties and those people. You know, I do know my um, representative. I, I live in an area that's um, small enough. I'm involved enough. <laughs> um, yes. You know, I don't sit back and wait for things to happen. I'm usually in the creation mode of things. So people usually know who I am um, and they know what I'm about. They, you know, they may not know all of the facets of me, and I'm okay with that. You know, <laughs> yeah. really know all about me. Okay. But yeah. they know that I'm out doing this project and that project and that project and that project. Okay. And from that, I'm connected to these individuals and these people through business and through personal and through organizations. Okay. They, uh-huh. they see you. When they see you, they know who you are. When they know who you are, then they have a better opportunity of sitting down and listening to you. Yes. And telling you what they think of, you know, you know, of, of, of what they think should be done or should happen. So a few years back, our um, representative, state representative, came in and sat down at our office and uh, had a conversation. I said, oh, by the way, just asking, you know, you know, if you could start something new in our community, what would it be? He said, a gleaning project. I went, wow, okay. I said, I don't know how to do that, but I said, I guess I'm going to go figure it out. <laughs> yes. But what he did was he told me what, what needed to happen here, how the community needed to work together. He, he also proceeded to tell me that, you know, if a tsunami hit here, because they're all about tsunami prepared because we're on the Oregon coast. Right. Um, and, of course, we've got this fabulous fault line and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we're going to be underwater and it could be 60 feet high and all the rest of this. I mean, you know, whatever. Okay? Yes. <laughs> when it comes, it comes. <laughs> yes. Um, but my point was to him was that he basically said we'd get one drop of food within the first 10 days, and we wouldn't see anybody out here for another six months. Yep. And what that told me was we're left to our own devices out here. Yes. So if we don't start building community, I mean, getting back to community. When I grew up as a kid, we had community. There was no question about what we had. Right. No 
I knew my neighbors. I knew who they were. I knew what they were up to. You know, this this thing of being separated and going our own way and doing your own thing and, you know, and not having to come together and be a part of something and, and you know, those kinds of things. As a matter of fact, the area that we live in or that I live in um, would literally be divided up into 12 different sections of land because of the bridges. So if the bridges go out, we got 12 different sections of, of places where people could literally be stranded. Yes. Okay. And, and lots of places are like that, but lots of places aren't. So, you know, but again, figuring out what your community needs are. Okay. So find them, you know, um, okay. be active. Do, go ask the questions. And, and don't always, this, I mean, I don't know that I would walk in and immediately start talking about mortgages, but I may have some other conversation first and, you know, get, get a warm-up. <laughs> Get a warm-up going on, you know. Ask ask some small talk and that kind of stuff, and then get to the get to the bigger meteor issues later on. Yeah. Well, I do have to. They know who you are, and you know who they are. Yeah. I do have to say the area that you are in is very community oriented all the way down that river because I used to live down that river. Mhm. Cool. Uh huh. (laughs) It's hard to find in the bigger cities. Did you go to the little school up the river? No, I only got to spend about three, three, uh, three years out there. Okay. So yeah, yeah. So okay, you. Okay. I you have answered my question. Thank you. Does putting it that in that different light does that make sense? Does that it make does. A, a better, you know, understanding? Because like I said, they all want you to believe that this is the way it's done. You know, this is just. I mean, you just got to do this. Because right. this is your only way out. Right. Well, I'm going to say you're really your only way out is quiet title. Because once you clear the title, then you actually have something. Yes. If you go in for a lender liability issue, <laughs> you're screwed. Yep. Because you got to talk about notes and money and things like that and interest. And <laughs> they win day after day after day with that stuff. Yep. Because that's all they do. I'm. I'm. Uh, I know all my judges. I. I know what you're talking about. Mhm. Yes. Right. Okay. But that's how you make change. Okay. That's how you affect change in your community. And even with if you do live in a big city, start out by going to the city council meetings. Yep. Start out by going to the county council meetings, which are a separate organization that still cover or encompass your city. Lots of people don't know that. There may be boundaries there, but this county still has a responsibility to certain cities. So find out who those people are, too. They make rules just like everybody else. County land people are, I mean, they're county um, commissioners is what we call them here. Um, Some of them think that they're kind of like gods, (laughs) you know? And we can just make this rule and make it happen. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that's how you get involved. And pick pick an issue that's not necessarily one that's direct. You know, you want you you want to get them to like you first. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, she's a lady that's always talking about that. Oh yeah, we don't want. Oh, ooh, go away. Yeah. yeah. 
pick an issue that's not so um, doesn't have Senior. quite a sting. A sting. Yeah. <laughs> not not quite as much venom on it. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. All right. And cool. Then, it, does Go ahead. Mind my asking another question about the UCC? Uh huh. Okay. Um, the um, when we had the uh, webinar on a Saturday, I believe it was three weeks ago. Um, there was quite a bit of detail gone into, and it went really fast. And I have been reading everything that's on the the board. And one thing that I'm not clear on is when a property is in a trust. Um, there was made mention that there is a specific box. But I guess my question is, who, since it's in a trust, who would be the entity that would actually file the UCC? The trustee. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I mean, is that not their job? That, well, I mean, it is. Now, it, hold it, on. It, absolutely. Is. And okay, it is his job, but he also may be directed by others because it may be not oh. just the trustee. It may be a board of trustees. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. And and that's yes. Thank you. So, so Thank depending you. on who has the um from my perspective, if if it if it were me, I guess, I would want to have a meeting and make sure that I had my record in place okay. that stated because that's all that we have is record. When you okay. have no record, you have nothing. Correct. Oh, oh, wait. No, you do have something. You ready for it? Here's what you have. Yes. <laughs> a lot of air. Yes. Okay. A lot of nothing. Yes. That's what you have when you have no written record. Okay. And I, I told you guys recently that I won a, a very nice little, you know, case because I had a record. So if you have no record, you ain't got nothing. Okay. So it, it doesn't have to be all fancy. I I, I laughed even. Um, I, I had an opportunity to. Um, well, actually, someone in our business, not this business, but another business that I'm involved in, um, happened to share an agreement that I wrote. A very quick agreement because it was just, hey, you know, you need to move this piece of property, or we're going to do something about it. Um, anyway, and it was on our the, the piece of property. How about that? Okay. Okay. Um, and she happened to share it with an attorney. Well, yes. the attorney happened to rip that agreement or that notice up one side and down the other. I just said, this is a notice and this is the final agreement. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't, there wasn't a, was not time. Um, Notice was given on a Saturday or Friday night, and whatever needed to happen was Monday or Tuesday morning. Yes. I, I didn't have time to do all the faldy roll of, you know, all these steps and processes. No, you're given one opportunity. If you don't do it, they'll do it for you, basically was what it was saying. Okay. But I laughed at the attorney because he broke down all these things of how I made all these mistakes and errors. I replied back and I said, the issue has been resolved. So if your goal is to, in fact, um, to, you know, chastise me for doing something quickly and, and getting a result, I said, go ahead. 
I said, but right now there's nothing to do. And he just responded back, well, I don't think that's the point. Okay, well, you don't have to think that's the point, but I got the job done. Right, right. Okay. So, okay? Absolutely. So, you kept <laughs> create the record. That's a, a few people out of a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah, a few people get very irate with me because of my record keeping. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm sure at some point your record keeping will, um, you know, we call might call it save your bacon. Absolutely, and it has multiple times. Okay. So you're <coughs> one of those fortunate people who is able to. You know, yep. be responsible and create a record. Okay. I, I I did not used to create records. I do now, but I didn't. You know, I didn't understand the meaning of that. And I still have people around me that have seen what creating a record can do for them. So like, they, oh, you you got that done with a record? Like just yep. writing it out? <laughs> I it, I don't care if it's on a napkin or a piece of toilet paper. Doesn't matter. Right. If you create a record, you can stand on it as long as you know what the purpose and the reason for the record. If you don't know what the record's about, you can't stand on it from my perspective. Yep. Thank so. you. Okay. Does anybody else have any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, ideas, any wild stuff, any non-wild stuff? Okay. Well, I would highly recommend for those that have not gone over to um, uh, Naya True uh, to request an invitation for the webinars that are uh, Saturdays. Um, I would do webinars at niatru.com, request an invitation. Um, to sit in and listen, um, education, opportunities to grow and develop um, one's mind, one's body, one's soul, all of it, um, as well as um, if you have any um, just questions or anything else like that, you can send an email over to info, I-N-F-O, at niatry.com, okay. and um, and. They will respond to you accordingly over there. So, okay? If that is all there is for tonight, then I guess we'll um, say goodnight. Y'all have a good night. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Be good. And good night. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Nancy, you still here, Nancy?
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.